Luke and Bex are sad, now that Mrs. Taylor's gone, but not forgotten. You're listening to Return to Gilead, a fan podcast for Down Gilead Lane. By two new, but one really old fan of the show. I'm Renee McFarland. I'm Ryan Matlock. And I'm Michael Lefevre. And you're listening to part one of our review of the season five finale of Down Gilead Lane, episode 70 on Return to Gilead. Hey, I think this is the second time we've had one of the original fans of Down Gilead Lane on the show. Welcome, Brent. It's great to have the you here. OG fan? It's good to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so you were around back in the days of the fun cast, uh, just like Austin, although Austin appeared more on the slow walk down Gilead Lane. But you had quite a few clips on the the, the feedback segments with Stephen Laurie. So you remember anything about those days, Brent? I don't remember a whole lot about it. I do remember listening to the podcast quite a bit. The interesting thing for me, I can tell you this. I remember listening to the early days of season one and all that. And then I had a gap there for several years where I just lost track of the show. And then I caught back up with the show around season eight. So I had to go back and catch up on all these shows after the fact. Mm -hmm. But I do remember doing podcasting things back then. I would do my own editing for it and include the backgrounds and Steve was pretty impressed with that. Yeah, I, I remember those those little clips where you'd have music in there. I thought, oh, yeah, Brent went all out for that. So you were uh, <laughs> channeling your Wits End podcast around that same time, right? Absolutely. <laughs> you guys ready to review this episode, these final two episodes here? Absolutely. Sure am. All right. Well, these are episodes 70, or 5-11, A Time to Mourn, and 71, 5-12, and A Time to Dance, both by Beth Culp. Here's the summary for both of these episodes. As the spring ball approaches in Coleraine, and as the Taylor and Morrison families are taking their time to grieve, Brooke seeks out advice on how to talk with Becca again. And then the summary for the second episode, Becca's journey from hatred to love to loss reaches its conclusion when she finally discovers the healing bomb of Gilead. Back to what I thought was a cutscene and actually wasn't, I did not remember the There is a Bomb in Gilead hymn in part two from my first listen through. I completely blanked that was in. Yeah, so... I apparently did hear it. It's honestly not as good as I thought it was. It's great, and I think it works really, really well for the scene, but I thought it was going to be like this big swelling choral arrangement. No, it's just a couple people in the background. (laughs) I think it does work really, really well for (laughs) Becca's process of healing that she's going through and her her pleading with God. Absolutely. I probably remembered it a similar way, and I think it's... Less about the sound design and more about, like, the impact on the listener. Like, yeah. the first time you hear it, maybe it's, I don't know, like, it just sort of hits you upside the head uh, to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, the song. That's the name of the audio drama. Yeah, and it's not connected with Gilead Lane. It feels like a fourth wall break, but really, if I were to pin one episode as the epitome of Gilead, and a time to dance is that episode, because Becca finally experiences, like I put in the summary, the bomb of Gilead in a a way that was very similar, I think, to Beth Culp's encounter with the song. One thing I love about Becca in this episode is that she says that everything is just pointing back to her mom and she everything is bringing back those memories, which I felt in a much lesser form in, in some stages of grief that I've gone through. But with Becca, it's so, so well written. I, I really wish that we could have talked with Beth Culp about these episodes because they are marvelous, marvelously well done for Becca. Especially when you consider the fact that the Taylors really weren't part of the story all that much. Yeah. You mean like the original story? Correct. Yeah. And that after the whole Grace thing, Beth Culp took the, these side characters and this character, Becca, who wasn't even supposed to exist in the beginning and gave her a really great emotional arc. 
Now, I think since since you're on the the podcast now, you can talk about this. Brent, have you heard the discussion that we've had about Becca's sympathy or like how she's been acting in these episodes and the question of like, do we actually sympathize with her? Somewhat. I, I mean, she was kind of standoffish there in the first few episodes where we met her. I don't, honestly, coming from my experience, I sympathize with her issues quite a bit. I mean, I come from a hmm. broken home. That wasn't quite the way Becca's was, but I struggled with issues as well. So I can yeah. sympathize with her issues. She has with accepting her mom back and all that. So I guess it it works. I, I think it really works for the story. I do agree with Ryan that maybe it might have been better to have some more of the positive qualities of Becca shown. Right. But in this one, her, her grief process is very, very well done, I think. Absolutely. And I love the way the actress who played Becca does it. Oh, yeah. She's so great in these emotional scenes. I talked to uh, Laurie Creed several years back when I had a written interview with her for some fans of the show mm-hmm. back in the day. Oh, cool. The emotional scenes were hard, so they had to break it up with a bunch of laughter in between. <laughs> well, that's kind of a little bit of what we get in the, the second episode. I'm just jump out of this real quick to go through the version differences just so we can get these right off the bat. You guys go with that? Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So the version differences for these, both these episodes are about 30 minutes long. I think the second one is 33 minutes long, which is bonkers that it's that long. For the first one, there's a line when Brooke is journaling and she's talking about the storm outside and that it should have been raining during the memorial. felt like a slap in the face for it to be so bright outside. And then she backs up and talks about Mrs. Taylor. That line was cut from the CD. Uh, the whole scene with Mary uh, talking with Grace, that scene was cut. And then the whole scene of Mary crying over the baby pictures, that scene was cut. No. <laughs> yeah, and then in the second episode, the only thing that's cut is the scene with Luke and Becca at the store. And what I was going to bring up is that in that scene, I like how it starts off, Luke is trying to console his sister and ends up crying along with her. And then he has a line where he says, it's, it's good that there aren't any customers here just uh, to see this. And that's sort of funny. It's also sort of like, <laughs> I, I feel better now uh, laughing at that. It's a good way to, to weave in some breaking of the tension in with a really serious episode without having it sure. be over the top, overblown humor. One of the clips of the day for the next episode is Brooke totally friendzoning Luke. <laughs> yes. We'll talk yes. about that uh, later. But uh, talking about the way this episode balances the the themes or like the, the humor and stuff, I really appreciated how the first one, uh, this first episode focuses on Brooke and her response and her encounter with Grace. And then the next episode focuses on Becca. And her response to everything and her encounter with Grace. Mm. It's its a really great parallelism. I don't know if you guys picked up on that. I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, that's very interesting. It is. And can we just talk for just a second how great it is to have Grace back in town? Oh, yes. I missed it's her great. being around for these last several episodes. So it's great to have her back. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's back right at the right time when, Absolutely. Uh, when Becca and Brooke need her. Even when Mary needs her, too. Um, Mary's got the whole thing in the first episode where everyone's growing up so fast and she doesn't know how to process through all of it. And it's great that Grace serves as a go-between, but she's not the end of, of the conversation. She doesn't give the solution. Even in the second episode with Becca, Grace isn't the one that brings the healing. She shows her where the healing is and that, and that it comes from Jesus. But with Mary's scene... I think it ties in really well as far as a, a quote-unquote dual storyline goes because Mary's directly being affected by the same things that are affecting Luke and Becca or and the Taylors. 
Ryan, did you ever show that some of these podcasts with your sister to your sister? No, I have I have not. No, well, but I, I will mention it. I get to see her tomorrow. Tell her that it gets better. I guess. <laughs> yes. Uh, did you Did you guys notice that at all? The parallel between, or at least the uh, the way that Mary was dealing with it, and uh, directly coming from the Taylor. Or like everyone's been affected by Joan Taylor's death at this point. Right. Yes. It's cool, I find, to see how a lot of people are dealing with a lot of similar things. Like One thing I noted was that Mary and Brooke both get bugged by the Richters, and it's <laughs> fun to see the parallels of how they deal with them, and how they deal with them kind of in a similar way. Mary with a little bit more maturity, and Brooke with a little bit less tact. Brooke is just kind of like, okay, bye! And no, I like that. Mary, <laughs> which I, it's I, perfect. I, it's hilarious. I, it's I thought it was perfect. hilarious. And Mar- meanwhile, Mary's trying to say the exact same thing, but be more tactful. Like, is there anything else you need to talk to me about? <laughs> sort of sort of vibes. It was amusing. Speaking of that scene with Mary Dillon with Monica, I don't know how much you guys caught onto this, but and I know you guys don't like to make comparisons too much, but in a <laughs> general sense, as far as dealing with Dealing with Karens on the phone. <laughs> or at Walmart. At Walmart, absolutely. <laughs> no, and, and, and so, as far as the sound effects, I love the smash cut that takes us from Michael's end of the conversation with Monica to Mary. It was perfect with that little phone click. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is super creative. And yeah, just full disclosure, you're one of the biggest Odyssey fans as well as one of the big, biggest Gilead fans, so you're, you're fine to make comparisons. I just, I need to better be a better Odyssey fan myself at this point. <laughs> but... What I love about the scene or the half of the scene right before that when Michael picks up is he goes, hello, Morrison residence. This is Michael speaking. And Monica goes, oh, Michael, <laughs> what nice phone manners you have. This is Monica. I'm calling to ask about your mom. And Michael goes, oh, yeah, I thought you were my dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, so he just had phone manners for his dad. Oh, I didn't even think about it that yeah. way. I was too, I was too wow. focused on the fact that his manners go out the window the <laughs> moment that, that she says it. And he, he's just like, so can I talk to Maya? Michael, Michael I, I called, called you. you. Right. Oh, right. I anyway. I didn't catch that. And then he turns around and goes, Mom, <laughs> Mrs. Richter's on the phone or whatever. And uh, Monica goes, oh, thank you, Michael. <laughs> he sounds like Haley, you know, with Kinda, a quick talking. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a thing that I want to bring up here before we get too serious. I don't appreciate how Brooke treated Tiffany in the first episode. And maybe that's supposed to be addressed, but I, I don't really think it was. She's saying how hard it is to love Tiffany because she's kind of inconsiderate. And what happened in the first episode was that she stopped her in the hallway and wouldn't let her go and just kept talking and made her late to track practice and stuff. But one, she didn't. Brooke stayed there of her own of her own choice until she finally said, oh, I, ha- I need to go and then immediately left. And also, Tiffany's actually really good. I don't know if you guys thought that same thing, but I do not mind her really at all in the first one. She starts out okay, but then the facade kind of drops and she just like as soon as she gets past the, hey, my condolences, she immediately goes to, anyway, I'm here for selfish reasons. Well, 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 I don't even know. I think she's actually restraining herself really well, even talking about that, because she's saying, hey, so we have this ball. It's the 100th anniversary we kind of need to know what's going on. So, like, do you have any idea if if Becca's going to be there for it? And I really don't think she goes that far. 
Maybe she asks it one too many times, but I think her concerns are legitimate there. I don't know. I honestly thought the other way about it, because if you oh. really take time to compare it, the way she acted before the next scene with the phone call, it's exactly what Monica's doing. I guess that's a good point. to be nice, but just, just to get what she wants. You know, have, would we really expect anything else from the Richters? I, I think this is, even if it's not still not great, I think it's the best we've seen from Tiffany in the series so far. True. I mean, yes, but people being mean but tidied up a little bit is still people being mean. Like, I grant that it's a lot better than the normal, hey, I'm here to intentionally antagonize you. It's a lot better than that because it's not an intentional bugging so much as a selfish prod. Well, okay. Which, you know, like, once she gets her answer, she'll move on and leave. Whereas before, she might, like, come up just so that she can say something antagonistic. So it's definitely better, Tiffany. It's not great, though, you know? Like, it, eh. it, like I'm still not going to be, like, Tiffany is a shining example to everyone about how to <laughs> do anything. Okay. Maybe I'm just being optimistic about Tiffany. I mean... <laughs> oh, do you want to talk about the radio in the, the second episode? Absolutely. Those scenes are so strange. I think they are. It's, it's hard to keep track of what's going on with that. A lot of the times when I was listening to it, I was listening without headphones. Yeah. When I went, when I went back and listened with headphones, I could kind of keep track a little bit before this review, but it wasn't all that easy without the headphones. It's hard to follow. Yeah, yeah, because there's, there's a lot of dialogue going on, and I don't think we're supposed to pick up on everything. There's a reference to Joseph Richter, and it's the Coraline's, Queen, Coraline's Queen's March, and then there's a joke, where a really great inside joke, where Brooke is with Mikey and John. They're working on the car, and Mikey has an oil sponge on his face. Then there's the song playing on the radio. She walks over to Grace's. Mary and Grace are over there. She comes over and says, oh, this is the longest song ever. And then the announcer comes on and says, and that was this song, also known as the longest song ever. Yes. <laughs> It's so weird. Did you catch that, <laughs> right? I did. I am very sad to say, I think I must have been zoning at that point in the episode. <laughs> well, it's also hard to follow because it's very much the characters reacting to the radio. It's kind of it's kind of awkward. Yeah. I don't think you're meant to pick up on everything. It was just an interesting start. And it's paralleled by the it's paralleled by the end of the episode where it's all the characters reacting to the spring ball, and there's not really anything going on there, but it's supposed to be building toward Becca finally arriving as the Queen of Spring, which was a great ending to this. And then we end on a line from Grace thanking God that he brings healing. Loved that. That was really yeah. great. I also liked the beginning of these two episodes. Mm -hmm. the, the conversation at the beginning with Brooke and her dad. There's a very lovely kind of tender slice of life kind of conversation, but also there's great atmosphere building as they talk about how he's building a fire and like the weather and he even says like you should turn on a light in here and she's like I like the lamp it gives a soft look you can see the scene and it feels like one of those lo-fi girl uh, YouTube <laughs> videos as yeah, far as yeah, just it being very aesthetic uh -huh. at least in my mind and that aesthetic is not just a visual aesthetic it's a feeling it's a uh, as, as well as, like, the emotional connection to the characters as they talk about these things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a very solid start to this finale. Yeah. I think it's great that they started with journaling for the first episode there. It's a great way to catch us up on what's been going on. 
between last episode and this episode. Oh, yeah. 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 Like, especially if we have a time jump there. And what makes this even better is that Brooke isn't just journaling about, we need to figure out the secrets of cholera. And she's saying, God, I can't process these emotions. Please help me, is the point of her journaling. I love that. Right. Uh, that her journaling finally has a purpose. It's not just her own selfish reasons. It's giving her prayers to God. That was a great touch. I loved that. That was, like, finally how she's journaling now. Yeah, I, I really appreciated that. There's also a line that John has in that first scene where he calls her his baby girl and Brooke goes, don't uh-huh. call me that. I'm a big girl, okay? And John I'm goes- I'm a big girl. And, but John goes, no, it, it's it's not okay. And I love that he says, like, it's you're clearly going through this and nobody should like be expected to go through this. This is hard. Like, you always be our baby girl to us, which is why your mom has this fire going downstairs. But- if you need to rely on us, if you need to come back to us or, and like rely on God, I forget what his exact quote is, but like there are always going to be there for Brooke. And I love that the the theme of the first episode is relying on others and giving support to others. And then the next episode is relying on God. I think that's an, also a really great parallel between the two themes. If you guys picked up on that. Yeah, absolutely. John also does the Timmy impression <laughs> at the end of the scene. I love that. <laughs> Ryan went rookie. <laughs> I was like, hey, don't do that to Timmy. Come on. But he did such a good job. That's true. Although Timmy's voice is changing, so he probably should have gone, hey, I want to talk to Brookie. Something like that. <laughs> I did like how Grace was, she was talking about how- Their voices are the changing. Ki- the, the voices are changing. And Meanwhile. this is probably like Beth Culp. She's like, <laughs> ah. The voice actors, their voices are changing. We have to recast. Uh, Dave Arnold goes, you're going to have to recast them. And she goes, no, we're going to keep them. No, we're going to keep them. Watch me keep them in one line of dialogue. <laughs> Done. Perfect. Yay. But she also, when they're talk- when Brooke and her mom are talking in the car later about what Grace was talking about, I love how they're like, so how is Grace's trip? Well, you know what? All we talked about was coloring. <laughs> <laughs> because... You know, that that's fair. You would expect that conversation to have a little bit about Grace's trip, and maybe the audience would be like, what's Grace been up to? We haven't seen her all season. And they explain it away in the dialogue, which you could look at as, like, a nod to the audience, but it's also just like, yeah, Grace would do that, wouldn't she? Mm-hmm. Yeah, direct the conversation back. And it's great because Grace is such a good listener that Mary feels so comfortable in going to her and talking with her and getting emotionally vulnerable that, of course, Mary wouldn't think to talk about um, Grace's trip because Grace is putting it all back on Mary. Like, how are you doing? What's been going on? I want to hear about that. It, it is a really great Grace move. I, I like it. Uh, I just want to make one thing abundantly clear in all this. When it comes to the spring ball, yeah. Brooke and Luke are not going as a date. <laughs> is, is that abundantly clear to everyone? Uh, just, well, hot no. take. It is a date. <laughs> okay. It's um, the date of the spring ball, whatever that is, you know, like March, <laughs> April, 2nd. No, but know, it's Luke that date. really wants it to be a date, though. Right. He's getting friend zoned so hard. He's just like, <laughs> hey, so, you know, I was thinking, you know, just as... Friends, we could go on a date, and he, or he, we, we could go together, and then she's just like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't have any guys to go with. You know what? We're not putting this in the next episode. We're listening to this right now. Here's the entire conversation between Brooke and Luke about their totally not date. Oh, hey, I, I haven't even asked anyone yet, you know? Uh, I was wondering, you want to go, Brooke? Uh, since Becca's going to be all dolled up on her throne as the queen and everything... 
Well, yeah, I didn't want to go with a guy or anything, so, yeah. Right, right, because I'm not a, a guy? Oh, come on, you know what I mean. I didn't want to go with some date or anything like that. Oh, yeah, I meant just because Beck's going to be busy and stuff. Mm. I... Did you change your mind? <laughs> poor Luke. My poor guy. He... I mean, uh, uh, no one, you, you didn't hear that. Yeah, I t uh, beeping that out. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I'll say that again. No, no, you Poor don't have to Luke. say it again. <laughs> you don't. Poor Luke. Poor Luke. Okay, Brad. Totally friend zone. <laughs> well, as far as Monica goes, I mentioned this joke elsewhere, but Monica totally needs a good slap. <laughs> just a slap upside the head. Absolutely. It's just <laughs> so annoying. You just. Terrible. That second, in the second episode, I don't even know the point of the scene when she comes in with Tiffany and is just, <laughs> what is the point of that scene? Just, just show how irritated she is, I guess. Like, and I feel like it be, I feel like the goal, well, that too, but I feel like the goal is to guilt Mr. Taylor into forcing his daughter to go or something. Like maybe if he feels bad enough about it, yeah. that he'll do something about it. But I love how even Tiffany is a little done with Mrs. Richter. Like by the end of like three minutes of posturing in front of him, she's she's like, "Are we done here?" She just wants to get her nails done. And then and then she leaves, and he just ah. I don't even know if that was Luke or Ben that was made the grunting them. noise at the end. Was it both? I okay, think it was both great. of them. I also thought for uh, part two, it was great to have Grace's perspective on loss as someone who's experienced the death of both of her parents. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Now, we can get into a little yeah. bit now. I want to save that main part of that discussion for the next episode. But, yeah, really, all the characters are perfect in Gilead. And we don't hear from a lot of the younger kids, a lot of the younger Morrisons, because they're just not needed here. Like, they're all, they all feature in these episodes because they're, there's dinner and stuff. But Justin doesn't really have anything to do now because he, one, hasn't experienced loss. He hasn't been close to the Taylors. But Brooke has been close. And Grace is the perfect person to minister to Becca in this time. Absolutely. I think it's so great that we had to remind her that even though we miss her loved ones that we've lost, we had the promise that if they were saved, that they're in heaven and we'll have an eternity with them. Yes. Becca's got a great quote that goes off of that that we'll, we will talk about next time with like, that doesn't make the pain go away, but... It's still, you know, what you do when you present the gospel, you say, well, first, Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for your sins and those who believe in him will have eternal life. But that doesn't make things easier necessarily. It, it gives us hope. And I'm sure Becca has hope, but it's just hard to see in the middle of those trials. It seems cliche, but the story was constructed really well that Joan Taylor came to faith before she died. And so that's the that is the hope in all of this. That's why we have hope. Because Jesus saves and because when our loved ones die, we, we don't mourn like those who have no hope because we do have that hope. Absolutely. And on that note, how about we end this thing, guys? Go ahead and wrap it up. Sounds good. Well, Bren, thanks for joining us for this review. I'm sorry it had to be kind of short. Hopefully we'll have you on for another one. But this has been fantastic getting you back into podcasts. Thanks for being here, man. Thanks for having me. It was good to be back in the saddle. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, do you want to plug anything of your own, or is there is there nothing really to talk about right now? Because, like, the Wits End podcast is still, still out there. I do still blog from time to time. You can find that at 
com. Yep, go ahead and listen to the backlog there too. Uh, it's Ryan's on the What's End podcast as well. Uh, I am. He was. I am. He's if, multiple if you characters. You want to go back and find some uh, interesting vocal work <laughs> that I did. You can uh, have some fun with that on uh, Bren's website. Again, that's the, the we pod, the, the we podcast dot com, or is it just we? The we podcast. The we podcast. There we go. Well, and about this podcast, if you want to get in touch with us, go to returntogilead dot com. You can find our Instagram, Facebook. Leave us a voice message at anchor.fm slash return to Gilead. You can find the DGL wiki at return to Gilead dot com. There's just a, a lot of stuff on there. Uh, who's joining us for the next episode, Ryan? My wife. Awesome. Yay! Hannah Matlock will be joining us for the next review. Uh, Bren won't be able to make it to that one. So, Bren, again, thank you for being here, and we'll have you on again sometime. Sounds good. And until next time, I'm Michael. I'm Ryan. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time as we finish Season 5 on our return to Gilead. Mm-hmm.